morning. How are y'all? I think it's been like 32 years since I have been up here in front of you guys. It's uh, it's good to to be uh, back here. A um, couple of things. I think uh, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Um, the next time I will be absent from this location will be the last week in October when I take um, uh, a new partner representing 24 churches in the southern session of the EPC church over to our uh, people group in the capital city of our country to see how we can help them and they can help us continue to engage that people group. So that's an awesome work of the Lord to provide 24 new partner churches. What are we going to do with those? I don't know. Uh, but they have a desire. There's lots of work to be done, and we shall see. And so someone will be preaching that Sunday. Um, and so that's a long time out. And so a lot of water will be under the bridge by then. Okay. Um, secondly, you like coffee? Who loves coffee? Are you thankful for that coffee when you come in? Amen. Well, if we don't have some help, we won't have any. All right, so Eric... Uh, really, really works hard. And when he's not doing it, Lawson works really, really hard. And the guys come in and make coffee. And, and uh, they can't always be here to do that. So you need to see Eric today. You need about five, six, seven people be willing to jump in and say, hey, I'll make coffee. It's not super complicated. You don't need a degree. You just need to be here early enough to make some coffee. And you can have a shot of goodness from the Lord. Amen. So see Eric. So, and, and Eric, where are you? Are you back there? There he is. See Eric. See that hand? See him. So you can continue to enjoy coffee. Mamas, relax. All right? We've got just uh, one more week without radical kids, and then we kick back into radical kids. But in the meantime, we do have a room right here at the library. There's video feed. There's sound. So if you're uncomfortable and you want to take your little ones in there, you can do that. Okay? You can see. You can hear. And they can, like, do, do the hokey pokey if they want to. It is all good. But you relax. It's okay. All right? Just think about this. This is a challenge the rest of the world has to deal with. And it's, I deal with is even the wrong vocabulary. It's a joy for your children to sit with big people and learn how to worship the Lord. Okay? This is training. All right? View it as that. It's okay. All right? So if you're, like, under the age of, like, what, like 12, raise your hand. I know there's more. Yeah, very good. It's all right. I've got some adults raising their hands. I think I'm under 12. You have a good time. It's okay, all right? So if you need to ask questions to mom and dad, that's all right. You enjoy your time, all right? Um, so I like you because I, I get to do chapel for students your age right here every Wednesday, and I love that. So I'm glad you're here. And you know what, parents? I've discovered that that age will take in more than you think they will. So... They're going to hear words that are long, big words. They're going to know what they mean, but you know what? They're going to hear the word. And that's part of learning is hearing. And at some point, they'll put a definition with it. The next thing you know, your kid's got a vocabulary that makes them look like they're educated, And that's awesome. So this is good. So enjoy the time. It's okay. Fellowship. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through 18. We're going to read this passage together. 1 John 3. 11 through 18. I think you're going to have it up on the screen behind me, so you can read from the English Standard Version with me. I want to read this out loud. It's God's Word. It's okay to read together. And so I'm going to read it. You read it with me at the same time, and we're going to make a joyful noise to the Lord in reading His Word, okay? So here we go. 1 John 3, beginning in verse 11, going through verse 18. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? 
because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. Sorry, dyslexia got me. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Let me pray for us. Father, in the name of Jesus, so that the Son looks as He is, incredibly amazing. Holy Spirit, I pray that You would exalt the Son. Jesus told us what Your mission is, and that is to make You look as You are incredibly awesome. So Holy Spirit, guide us to the Son. Jesus, show us the Father, that we may behold glory, and that we may learn love, and that we may turn and love each other. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 John 3, 11 through 18. Fellowship. We've been talking about fellowship for 300 weeks. And we're going to continue talking about fellowship for as long as it takes us to finish 1 John. We do have a schedule, okay? You don't know what that schedule is. Like Like Adam knows the schedule. So he could plan songs. But we may just take longer and take shorter. I'm cool with being flexible. Because my goal is not that we get through 1 John. I, I, I don't care about just finishing 1 John. And, and let me be very honest. I don't care whether or not you get bored with it. And I'm being serious. Because that's not the goal is to keep you entertained. The goal is that we would grow into Jesus... And that our love for each other, our fellowship would be legitimate and rich. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Fellowship in the church in North America is our greatest challenge. I would say our greatest challenge in Three Rivers Community Church for the next ten years is fellowship. Because our culture is opposite of fellowship. It's individual. It's a culture that's built on individualism. And there are even some who view fellowship as a means of their own individual ends, which is abusing fellowship. The fellowship of the believers does not exist so that me, you, or anyone else can take advantage of it and advance their cause. That's not fellowship. That's pillaging. Fellowship is probably our greatest challenge. I think we understand the mission. We're clear on that as a church. I think we understand the Scriptures. We preach the Bible. We do ministry. But fellowship is our deepest challenge and will be until the Lord continues His work of sanctification and brings us into a deeper action of fellowship. Today in the passage, John is going to teach us something that's pretty simple. And it's this, love one another. That's the point of this passage, okay? Love one another. We've said that fellowship is life together under the Word, right? Life together under the Word. Life, all of it, every ounce of it, 
Not just Sunday morning, but life. All of it. Live on the same mission with the same core beliefs, the same goals, driving all of us together to make much of Jesus. However, what binds people together for a mission? Causes them, causes them to hold firm to core beliefs while allowing for diversity in gifts and talents and abilities. What is that? John's going to tell us what it is, and that is to love each other. We're going to work our way through this passage this morning with four observations. Okay, We're going to work our way through this passage, and we're going to make four observations about the passage, and then we're going to close our time with some application on how we are to love each other. Observation number one, coming from verse 11. Jesus' instruction has not changed. Love one another. Listen to what He says. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. What beginning? The beginning of Jesus' inaugural work in the church whereby He launches them to the Great Commission. And what is that we've heard from the beginning? That we should love one another. Jesus' instruction hasn't shifted. And that instruction is that we are to love each other. To love one another was a message from the beginning. Jesus told us to love each other and therefore we are to love each other. If we pull love off, if we love each other, we go a long way toward accomplishing the mission. Now loving each other is not proclaiming the gospel. Hear that. It's not enough just to love each other publicly. There has to be a, a proclamation. The gospel is verbal. It's not actions. Don't believe the lie of, of preach the gospel when necessary, use words. That's a lie. The gospel is a proclamation. It's not something you do with your hands and somebody looks and goes, oh, Jesus died and was buried and rose from my sin. They have to hear that. How do we know? God spoke. God speaks. God communicates. And He spoke the Gospel message and we're told to go preach that message. But that message preached carries some oomph when we love each other. Jesus said, they will know you belong to Me. He didn't say, I'll save them by how you love each other. He says, they will know you're Mine by your love for one another. When we proclaim the gospel, when we tell the good news, there is, there is a clear understanding that these people, whether you agree with it or not, truly believe this because they really love each other. And so if we pull off love, we go a long way toward completing the mission. No love, no mission. We must, however, be in fellowship to do the mission. In order to be in fellowship, we have to love one another. No love, no mission. Observation number 2, verse 12 through 15. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 
Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Wow. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Observation number two. Failure to love is murder. You find that a little hard to swallow? We don't like to equate not loving each other with murder. But that's exactly what the Scriptures just did. A failure to love is murder. John here in verse 12 to 15 gives a negative example to show us what love is not like. First thing he does is he says, Cain failed to love due to his evil deeds. Cain's not loving of his brother or his murder sprung from his evil deeds contrasted with Abel's righteous deeds. So rather than deferring to Abel and repenting, he murders. Listen, the source of discord in the body is murder. It is the recognition that my deeds or someone else's deeds are evil and that evil contrasts and butts up against righteousness, destroying fellowship and thereby being murderous toward one another. Is discord okay in the church? No. Just like murder is not okay in a society, discord in the church is not okay. Why? Because to hate my brother or to fail to love you is murder. It's the source of the first murder in Scripture. And so therefore, when sin lives and breathes and stays present... Particularly sin, and by the way, I should even say particularly, all sin is ultimately directed at the fellowship. Sin is never isolated from the body. We've said this before when we've talked about fellowship. My sin directly affects you whether you know what it is or not. Why? Because it shifts the atmosphere of the air we breathe together. The ethos, the culture, the culture is rotten when there is sin present toward one another. And when that is the case, it's murder. Someone's evil deeds are butting up against someone's righteous deeds. So rather than repenting and deferring to the one in righteousness, we murder and there's discord. Verse 13, the world shows hatred or no love. Verse 13, we're not to be like this. And we've learned already what the world is. We've talked about this. John has addressed this issue here. The world is a system of lies and beliefs that stand contrary to the gospel. And we learn in 1 John 5, 19 that Satan himself is the one who propagates this world system. This world system hates. It's murderous. We are to not be like that. Meaning we are to be opposed to the world system of murderous hatred of each other, or, let me say it a different way, a failure to love each other. The world doesn't love the system of lies and beliefs propagated against the gospel, does not love. We are to be counter that by loving each other. This is why it's so hard to love and fellowship. is because it's not just you and me. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The war 
of love isn't simply flesh on flesh discord. There's a spiritual struggle seeking to stop love in this building right now. If there's murder propagated against a brother or sister today, and hear it, First John way, right? A failure to love. It is bigger than just the flesh-on-flesh flesh tension. It is the spiritual war propagated by the world and its lies. That's really not my fault. It's their fault. They're the ones that said that and did that. It's them, not me. Sometimes it is them, not me. And sometimes the thems need to repent. And sometimes if the thems won't listen to reason, or if the thems won't do what's right, Jesus will take care of them, I promise. As Paul said to the Romans, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Meaning, if we're going to love each other, there's an awful lot of deferring we have to learn to do. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Verse 14 in this section. My love for the people of the church is evidence of salvation and spirit enablement. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. One of the tangible ways you know you possess the Spirit of God is you love each other. Does that make sense? That's not complicated. If you love each other, if love drives your relationships, it is evidence that Spirit dwells in you. Verse 15 in this section. Those who hate the brothers are murderers. Listen to this carefully. I'm going to read it slowly. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Listen, if hate or let's say a lack of love rules your relationships in the body, you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. You repent and believe the gospel come to Jesus. How do I know if I'm a hater? Hater is a term that uh, I like to throw around in, in ragging my friends. I, sarcasm is a spiritual language of mine and I thoroughly enjoy it. And some of my sarcastic language involves the word hater. Don't drink the hater aid. Why are you hating? How do I know I hate? How do I know I'm a hater? Let me give you Five ways you can tell if maybe you're a murderer and a hater. If you hold a grudge based on someone else's gossip, you're a hater. If you hold a grudge based on someone else's gossip, you're a hater. That makes sense? If someone else is talking to me about you and saying things about you to me, and I hold a grudge against you because of what that person says. Not only are they a hater, I'm a hater. You can't love like that. Another way you can tell if you're a hater is if you shun a person in the church because you don't appreciate the way the Spirit has gifted them, you're a hater. It's easy to look at the way you're gifted. Everybody needs to be like me. Well, if that was the case, we'd all be toes. And we wouldn't be a body as the Scripture gives us the picture of. The eye doesn't look at the toe and go, useless. 
If the toe's all blistered up, what does the eye do? It looks to take care of the toe. Why? Because the toe's vital. If you look at the giftedness of other people and you shun them because you don't like the way that gift operates and you perceive it to get in your way, and that includes me, I'm preaching to me, I'm a hater. Third way you can tell if you're a hater is if you murder another person with your words to other people, you're a hater. Let me just say this. Other people's names need to stay out of your mouth unless you're speaking to them in love or about them in love. Does that make sense? James says the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Is it not? Fourth, if you withhold your gifting from another person because it's easier for you to just use the church for your benefit, you're a hater. Listen, man, this is important. You're not gifted for you. We talked about this early on in fellowship. Spirit has gifted you so that you can serve another to help lead them into Jesus and make much of Jesus. My gifting is not for me. I haven't been gifted with teaching so I can stand in front of a mirror and talk. I've been gifted with teaching for you. You've been gifted with something for me. Let me just be selfish for a minute. If you choose to isolate yourself from me, and, and, and just practically, we can't all love one another. You understand, right? I mean, no, I said that slipped out wrongly. We can't all be intimately connected to one another. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just not possible for, for one person to be intimately connected to like 200. You know what I'm, you get that? So I'm using a big picture illustration here, right? But if, if you have a gift and you choose to isolate yourself from me in community, then guess what? You're withholding a gift that I need. Listen, dude, I don't have it all together. Neither do you. I'm in great need of your gifting. I stink at about 7,000 things and maybe do .25 of one thing decently well. I'm in need of you. You're in need of me. And so I don't withhold my gift from you. You don't withhold your gift from me. You don't hold your gifts from one another. Last way you might build, and there are probably many of these, but for time's sake, I'm just going to give you this last one. If you allow sinning people to murder other people with their words without rebuking them, you're a hater. If someone comes to me and decides to assassinate your character and I let them do it, I am as guilty as the person assassinating your character. I'm a hater. Third observation, verse 16. By this we know love. This is what we're looking for here, right? By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Love is a complicated issue in Scripture. There's the love of God for God. That's pretty much, if you read Genesis to Malachi, you're going to discover something about our triune God. Is God's chief mission is God. And that is the only way mercy can be shown to rebellious sinners. 
So there's God's love for God. In the New Testament, we're, we're, we're given this beautiful image of the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father. And the Son's desire to bring us into that love relationship, that inter-Trinitarian love relationship through the Gospel. Then there's the Son's love of His people. There's the Father's love for His people. Then there's our love for God. And then there's our love for each other. You see how that's complicated. That's a lot of love. Great book. The Difficult Doctrine of Love of God by D.A. Carson. It's short and will be profoundly impactful on your life. Google it. Amazon it. CBD it. Get it. Read it. The love of God is deep and rich and wide and awesome. And we're told to love each other like that. So how, how can we get our hands around love and loving each other? By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We can know what love is because Jesus showed us in dying in our place for our sin and as a result we are to love each other just like that. Check this out. I am an offending and guilty party. My sin put Jesus on the cross. So did yours. And did He accuse me? Did He go talk about me to Peter? Peter, my divine foreknowledge. There's going to be this moron kid in Silver Creek, Georgia. Yeah, I know. You don't know where that's at right now, but not much hope for that cat. Peter, I just, what a... Seriously? No. My sin put Jesus on the cross, and in love He died in my place for my sin. And, and the Bible tells us now to go and love people just like that. Meaning regardless of what they have done to me, my perception or reality. And sometimes we look at people, right, and our perception is off. And you know how you get your perception fixed? By being together. But sometimes it's reality. And what's my response? To die for them. The Bible doesn't give us a nice, neat definition of love. God is love. That's, that's as close as we get. right? God is love. Who is God? <laughs> right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, who's the Father? Who's the Son? Who's the Spirit? What's their role? Who's man? Right? Which, by the way, I love the fact that the Bible doesn't give us these nice, neat definitions. It gives us Genesis to Malachi and gives us these large, big concepts. And then we're free to go read and study. This is why study is important. This is not in my notes. This is why you need to read your Bible. Is, is, everybody reads Jeremiah 29 11, right? Everybody knows that one by heart. You read verse 12 and 13? 14? How, how can you find the Lord and find out these glorious, beautiful realities of Scripture? Jeremiah says, when you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. You know what Jesus wants? What does he say? Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be given. You know what Jesus wants? 
He wants you to come after Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if you come after Him like that, guess what you'll find? Him. So He gives you these big things. Love. God is love. Love each other. What does that mean? He's come to me and I will teach you. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble. And you'll find rest for your souls. Did He not say that? So I've done my best to give you a definition. And Lord, forgive me if it is off. Chew on this. Enjoy the meat. Spit out the bones. Here's my attempt. A radical commitment to one's eternal good delivered in an appropriate fashion for the receptor of love. A radical commitment to one's eternal good delivered in an appropriate fashion for the receptor of love. Jesus' death in my place for my sin is ultimately for my eternal good, is it not? And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but the Lord doesn't deal with everybody in Scripture the same way, does He? Jesus didn't deal with every person who came to Him the same way, did He? At one moment, He's calling Peter Satan. And the next minute... He is loving on the man whose son continues to throw himself in the fire. And Jesus shows pity and compassion. There's one thing I'm convinced of. The Lord approaches each of us in the way we were wired by Him. This is a beautiful thing about creation. God didn't make us all alike. And He knows. Psalm 139. You read that recently? He knit us together wonderfully intricately and each of us are different and the one who knit you together knows how to come to you so you can hear that cool awesome i guarantee if we all shared our salvation stories there would be some that are similar but by and large they would all be different why because jesus knows how to awaken you to life and save you so this radical commitment to one's eternal good delivered in an appropriate fashion for the receptor of love it's easy to say, well, this is just the way I love people, and you've got to learn to be loved the way I love you, and if you don't understand that, then by God. That's not love. And, and frankly, that would probably be more me. I don't know how to deliver love in an appropriate fashion. I'm trying to learn. I hope you're trying to learn too. But some people just don't receive Harsh statements delivered in a factual manner is love. I look at that and go, well, gosh, it's truth. That's ultimately loving. What's wrong with you? Right? And so it's like, no, you broke my finger. Quit crying. Dear God. Right? So I conclude that if I'm to love, I have to love a person the way they need to be loved. The golden rule is to treat each other the way we need to be treated, right? If I'm to follow the rule this golden rule in love, then I have to love the way they receive love. The only way we can love each other the way we need to be loved is to know each other in fellowship. That doesn't happen tomorrow. That happens over time as you get to know people and you learn to tailor your communication in a way so that they can receive it. Does anybody think that's easy? If you've been married for any length of time, like more than two months, you know that that is a challenge. Right, husbands? 
The only way we can love each other is to know each other in fellowship. And the only way we can be in fellowship is to love one another. You see why love is central to fellowship? If we don't love each other, there's no fellowship. There's no mission. And if there's no love to keep fellowship intact, a radical commitment to each other's eternal good received and given in a way that's appropriate to that person, we will fall apart. This is why churches split in Floyd County. This is why churches get to a certain number and die in Floyd County. It's not their strategic implementation. It's not because they did church a different way. It's not because of the music. It's because there is a failure to love each other and be committed to each other's eternal good in a way that they need to receive it. That's the issue. That's the problem. Because when it gets tough, what do we do? We bail. That breaks fellowship. So how do we do fellowship? We have to love each other. Radical commitment to each other's eternal good. Given and received appropriately. Number four is our last observation. We're going to get to some some ways to go do this. Verse 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's a great question. By the way, notice the wording. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need. This isn't the time or place for this. So I apologize, but i got to say it. It doesn't say any and everybody in need and give to them. But what adjective, what noun is used adjectivally here? Sorry, went nerd on you. Who are we to give our goods to that's in need? Anybody standing on the side of the road with a sign? Who? Somebody wants to say it out loud. Brother! Each other! In the room, there should be, and the Bible says this, no needy among us. This is why I'm going to just confess, and somebody rebuke me if I'm in sin, because my cell phone is the church number, so it like blows up incessantly, and so if I don't answer your calls because it's not my contacts and it just, it's just number, but I get calls like, will you pay my water bill? My response is, if you believe the gospel, come join this fellowship, Commit your life to the gospel. Let me teach you how to budget money. God's money. It's not your money. It's God's money. Teach you how to manage God's resources. I'll be happy to pay your water bill. I ain't had no takers. But you know what? If one of you call me and say, man, I'm struggling. I'm busting my rump. Job market's off. Man, I can't make it. You know what we're going to do for you? We'll get it done. Why? Because we love you. You're my family. Why would I do that to my family? I won't do that to my family. Done. Done. I'll figure it out. Figure it out. You know? Why? Because you're family. Jesus in Mark records, uh, Jesus does it. Mark records an, an example where Jesus' family, obviously you read the Gospels, you discover his, his mother and brothers thought he's crazy. And they come at one instance when he's inside teaching, and they won't even go in to where he's teaching. They stand outside and send somebody in. Hey, go get Jesus. We need to have a word with him. We need to yank him back in line. He's lost his mind. And they come and say, Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus looks around and said, who are my mother and my brothers? He pointed to all those around the table and said, you are my mother and my brother and my sister. The point is, family relation is not the blood flowing through your veins. 
It's built on the Spirit who dwells in each of us. That's family. And so if there's a brother in need, done. Now if you're in sin, like if you're blowing all your money on like, like non-necessities, and you can't pay your electric bill because you have like three F-250 King Ranches and like 12 houses and stuff, I'm like, you need to repent and sell some of your junk. I ain't, get, I ain't paying jack squat for you, right? You know what I'm saying? Seriously, like that's a sin issue. That's overindulgence. You repent and believe the gospel. But I mean, if you have, like, you, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I can, and it's just blowing up. You know what? Yes, because your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your family, man. Does that make sense? So what do we do? Point number four: Love for each other must take the form of action, not merely words. That's the point. Love is not just, hey, man, I love you. It's I show you I love you. I do what is necessary. If you're in need, done, taken care of. If you need counseling, done, taken care of. If you need help, done, taken care of. Why? Because you're family. It does no good to say I love you and leave you hurting. Little children, that's not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. So, we're to be in fellowship. And in that fellowship, we're to love one another, right? We've said that fellowship is life together under the Word. Well, how are we to be in fellowship doing life together under the Word and the kind of love that Jesus showed us? I'm going to give you, very quickly, eight quick things that we can do to love the way Jesus loves us. You ready? Number one, be unified in belief and mission. Be unified in belief and mission. Life together under the Word of the Gospel and common belief and common purpose. There are core issues that we all must believe. If you go through our new member class, we tell you what those things are. There is room for diversity and unity. But we cannot be disunified on who Jesus is, on what the Gospel is, on what church discipline looks like, on giving, there are certain things in the Bible that's clear and they're not negotiable. So unity starts by believing the same thing on all the core issues and having the same purpose in mind, which is the purpose of the Bible, and that's that God would be glorified through the Great Commission, the preaching of the Gospel to all nations. If you think the purpose of the church is simply to do local ministry apart from the global scope of the Gospel, you're not going to enjoy your time here. God's glory is not just Rome, Georgia, it's all nations. And we won't be satisfied until the gospel is completed. That includes local ministry. But that local ministry is to launch us to the nations. We've got to be in unity and belief and mission. Which might do the new member class. See what you're getting into. We're a weird, Southern Baptist, Reformed, non-Pentecostal, Sort of funky thing. And you need to know what that is. What are you getting into? Unity and belief and mission. Number two, peace through reconciliation. Absence of conflict by bringing two parties together, not keeping them apart. And this only happens through deference, sacrifice, longevity, transparency, and perseverance. Which we're going to, I'm going to give you those words in just a moment as the rest of the application. This only works when both parties are willing to look at themselves first, repent of sin, and be right. Did you hear that? 
This only works when two parties are willing to look at themselves first, repent of sin, and be right. As long as the sinning party continues to justify their sin, reconciliation will not take place through the party's actions. However, the Lord will make things right. Be sure you're in the right before you dismiss another brother or sister. How can you know a guilty party? When multiple people experience the same issues from a common source, that common source is in sin probably. Are you that common source? I'll give you a quick illustration of how the Lord works that. This isn't in the Bible. Uh, at least I haven't found it. It's just personal experience. But I had a gentleman come to me once about 12 years ago in Texas who was close to me. Last person I expected this from, and he closed the door and he sat down and he began to tell me what I needed to do in order for him to continue to give his six-figure tithe. And his support stay behind me. Well, I had a few choice words for him, of which we can't repeat here in this moment. Um, and I, figure, I figuratively won the battle and lost the war. Because my response to him wasn't love. It was get even. And even I did get. About four years later, I'm sitting in a parking lot here in Rome waiting on a fundraising appointment. And this is one of two times in my life that audible voice of the Lord would not leave me alone. My appointment didn't show up providentially. Because the Lord had something to say and it was time for me to hear. And the Lord told me to call him and apologize. And crazy enough, I still had his number in my stinking phone. So I was trying to get out of it and I looked at my phone and I was like, maybe I don't have his number. Bummer. Well, bummer, there it was. I go back to my office, I call him, he picks up on the second ring. And we have a four hour conversation and the Lord healed the relationship. Because I was wrong. Should he have said what he said? No. Should I have said what I said? No. Regardless of his wrongness or rightness, my response was wrong. And so the point is, when both parties are willing to admit their wrongness, the Lord can fix. If the other party won't admit their wrongness, Jesus will take care of them, I promise. But you do all in your power to be at peace with all people. Number three, deference. Submitting to each other out of reverence for Jesus because we consider them better. Philippians 2, 1-7. We're going to sing about that in just a few minutes. Defer to one another. Listen, we're not out to win anything. I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. There are lies about leadership that you're supposed to be steel spine and stand up and just... Listen, man, if you're to have peace inside the body, you need to be willing to defer. If it's not sin, defer. Does that make sense? Like if somebody's trumpeting sin, then we do have a steel spine. We stand up and say, no, adultery is wrong. But if it's like opinion issues, defer. Does that make sense? Defer. Submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. If there's a clear direction, submit. Number four, sacrifice. Selfless labor. 
for each other when needs are present, even when they're not. Sacrifice for each other. Number five, longevity. Longevity. Life lived together over the long haul, not short-term tire-kicking to see if others give me what I want. Listen, one of the reasons I say this is a 10-year challenge for us is because in my little experience of things, it's taken a good 10 years to really get to know some people well enough so that we know how to serve each other. For some of you in here I know well because we've done life together for a long time. You know me well. And you know what? We don't really have to sometimes even communicate what we need. It's just like, hey man, this is what's going on. Okay, I got it. It's done. This is what we do. And so longevity, there has to be life together over the long haul, not short-term tire kicking to see if you're going to give me what I want. If not, I'm going to just buy. I'll go get it somewhere else. Longevity. Number six, transparency. Clarity and honesty in who we are, where we fall short, and how we can help each other achieve our common mission. Listen, there's no room for heroes up in here. We all flawed. We all need help. We all need Jesus. And we need to be clear about that and transparent about that. There are no superheroes in this body. Be clear. Does that make sense? Being honest about those things. How we can help each other. Where we fall short. And don't judge people over their shortcomings. My goodness, go look in the mirror. You know what I'm saying? Number seven, perseverance. Man, living life together over the long haul when circumstances are favorable and when they're not favorable. Staying the course even when the other person is a rube. Perseverance. And finally, to cap it all off, love, 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 love. Unity, peace, deference, sacrifice, longevity, transparency, perseverance, bound all together in a radical commitment to each other's eternal good, given in a way that that person can receive it. That's a radical commitment to the eternal good of each other. And we do those things, I have a feeling they'll communicate somewhere along the lines the way that person's wired. But if we're going to do fellowship, we have to love one another. You love each other like that? My hunch is that, that we do in a lot of ways. But my hunch is also that there are probably ways we need to repent, each of us, along the way. We need to examine ourselves, you know, to see if there are ways. You know, I'll tell you this. There, there have been things where I've had to go to Emmett and say, Emmett, am I wrong? Help me, man. Will you tell me if I'm wrong? That's healthy. Don't just sit there and go, by God, I know I'm right. Go ask somebody. That's a little dangerous because they may not tell you what you want to hear. But there are times we need to go say, hey man, am I, am I right here? And not with an agenda to justify yourself, but with a true, say, honest, open heart. Say, brother, sister, am I, am I right here? You know? Maybe today is an opportunity for the Lord to do a great work of grace in you and in somebody else. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray and then we're going to sing together to worship the Lord. Now listen, this is a cool thing that happens when singing. Um, why do we sing? Because the Bible's got 150 songs right in the middle of it and there's a group of Levites appointed as singers to sing to the Lord in the temple in the Old Testament. Go read it. Second Chronicles, First Second Chronicles. Awesome. Awesome. But we sing because God likes songs. That's, that's why. 
We don't sing because we try to appeal to various people. And we like to sing at church. Singing's fun. So singing, we sing. We sing because God likes to be sung to. Period. The songs are for the Lord, not for you. Okay? That makes sense? So whether you like it or not, it's irrelevant. It's whether or not it speaks truth about the Lord, and we get that and we sing them back to Him. He's the recipient. So why don't we sing? Because He likes it. So we're going to sing because Jesus likes it. Right? Second thing, cool things happen when we worship the Lord. Acts 13, there was a church planting movement that started because as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Lord spoke about two people, Barnabas and Saul, that He was going to send to the Gentiles. So when we sing, cool things happen. The Lord gets joy, and He like speaks to us. So as we sing for the Lord's glory, my hope is that the Lord would speak to you and you would have ears to hear and hands and feet to respond to what He's telling you to do. Does that make sense? So we're going to sing, and as He gives you direction, would you obey? Maybe He says, go talk to this person, go pray for this person. Maybe He affirms and confirms that, you know what, you need to stay the course, you plant your feet. But would you just obey Him? Just obey Him. Let's fellowship, life together under the Word. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that You would receive great joy as we sing to You. Oh, I love how you, you created musicians and you created all genres of music and you, you created all kinds of sounds from stars that rotate on their axis at 11 times a second and make drum beat sounds and sounds like stringed instruments and whales that sing and birds that chirp. You made sound and you gave us the common grace of making instruments that can imitate some of those sounds and we get to manipulate them to make noise that sounds good and we get to sing to it because you like it. And so Lord, I pray that you would give us great joy in playing to you and singing to you. But Lord, I pray that as we play to you and we sing to you that you would speak to us. Give us clear direction such that we can't avoid it. Hound us, Lord, in grace for our eternal good and for each other's joy. Give us hands and feet that will be quick to respond in obedience and to do what you've given us to do. Lord, I pray against the evil one and, and the forces of the evil one and the lies of the world that seek to steal, kill, and destroy. I pray you'd overcome that. I pray the hosts of heaven would come and fight the unseen battle above us so that, so that we can have a little win today. So fight back the evil one, I pray and all the effects of the evil one. Holy Spirit, guide us to Jesus. Jesus said that's your job, so guide us to Him, so we can see Him. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name.